0: Um, But we're also very excited to just kind of share a little bit with you this morning, Um, a little bit about what what God's doing in not our point related ministry so much, but our overseas ministry and and how it is beginning, which is really cool to connect with with you. Um, Matt uh, called me a couple months ago now, maybe six weeks ago, and um, said that you guys had just had on your heart some generosity and, and you just wanted to sow into another man's field somewhere. Um, and you've done that. Um, and so we're here to share a little bit of our heart, but we're also here to share some of the specifics of what God did with your generosity and what he's going to begin to do with your generosity. Um, I'm always reminded of the, the great Sunday school story of the boy with the loaves and the fishes. Um, I mean, it would have been really easy to say, you know what? I don't, I, the world's too big. The need is too great. I got what I got, so I'm going to run behind the rock and, you know, eat my lunch. Um, I mean, I, th- I really honestly think sometimes I think we read the Bible and we and we, we sort of don't connect into the the real-life situation. I mean, this is a little kid, you know, um, I think he might have thought maybe I should run behind the rock and just eat my lunch instead of give it. Um, but he gave it. He's like, you know what? This is what I got. and I'm going to give it. And, of course, you know the story. God does an amazing thing. And, and we, I really feel like what you are going to see out of your gift, and we'll explain it in a little bit, is is really a miracle of the loaves and fishes. You're going to be amazed at what your generosity um, on behalf of of others has done so, but i 'm going to keep you hanging for a little bit before I give you those details. Uh, my beautiful wife, Dinette, will be up here. She was busy um, writing in her notebook on the drive, okay, so the m- worship music is blaring, and all of a sudden out comes the notebook, and she 's scribbling in her notebook, which means put the pressure on her she has a word of the Lord for you. Um, she is very, very prophetic. I've never met anyone in my life that pushes in deeper to God than, than she does. So, um, I, I said to her as we were walking in, when do you want to do this? And she said a little bit later at the end. So, uh, she will have a, an opportunity to, to come on up and do that. And I want her to share her heart with you guys a little bit as well. Um, she's also my timekeeper because sometimes she will give me that look of, get it going, Jeff, or shut it down, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> so if you see me sort of looking over there, that might be what's going on, but yeah. And then if I still don't get it, she just comes up and it's it's done. All right. I got a question for you before we get started, okay? I want to set a little context for, you know, what we want to share about your your gift on behalf of God's kids in Africa. But here's, here's a question. I never really pondered it until a few years ago. We always learn in Sunday school about the Israelites, right? God's chosen people. Well, didn't he love everybody? And didn't he send his son to die for everybody? And doesn't he care about the whole world? So why did he need a special people? I, I kind of pondered that. It's like, man, I never thought... It's like, I just like well, okay, yeah, he had a chosen people. And then, of course, Jesus came and died. And then Paul, you know, came on the scene. And Jesus said, I've come not just for and died not just for the Israelites, but for all people. And so we've become like the new Israel. But I get to think about why, why at the beginning of his amazing story did he need a special people? Did he need to call out a special people? And I, I think the reason is this. He just needed to introduce the world to who he was. I mean, there were gods everywhere. The Sumerians, the Egyptians. I mean, I mean, you know, as you read about Egypt, I mean they had a god for, you know, every minute of the day almost. I mean, they had gods everywhere. Um, you know, oh the ear itches. Pray to the god of the itching ear and whatever. I I made that one up, okay? <laughs> but you get the point. Um, but I think God was like I need and I want and I desire in my plan to introduce this world that I created to its real creator. And so somebody needs to make the introduction. It's not like they're a special people, but they had a role to play. And that is to introduce the world to Yahweh, the one true God. And so I think as he called the Israelites into this mission, he was very specific. And if you read, you know, after the Exodus, you get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all of those things. I mean, you get the law and it's where he's laying out all of these things because it's important to him for the world to understand who he really is. And, and then, of course, Jesus comes on the scene as the, as the story unfolds and fills out the picture. Okay. It's not that the law is done. It's just that the the law now has given way to what Christ has done because it's impossible to keep the law. And God knew that from the very beginning. But the law created a standard, okay, that we are to strive for, and then Jesus has come to set us free of the grips of that law. Out of grace, okay? So I want to be clear as I'm as I'm sharing here. What God did is free. The gift of his son is free. The gift of grace is free. We don't have to earn salvation. We don't have to earn his love. We don't have to do anything. There's nothing you've heard this phrase a lot. There's nothing you can do that makes God love you more. There's nothing you can do that makes God love you less. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. And by faith, if you reach out to him, he comes in and he gives you salvation. So I want to be very clear with that foundation. But it doesn't end there because there is a world in need. There is a community in need. There are neighbors in need that need to be introduced to the one true God. They need to see it. God gave two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and love your neighbor likewise. so here's the one phrase because Most of the time when when speakers get up and speak, if you're like me, you don't remember anything in about a week. Okay, so you got to always come up with a tagline. Okay, this is my tagline. God has called us to love and love looks like something. Okay, God has called us to love and love looks like something. I want to fill this out just for a couple of minutes here. Turn to Luke chapter four. You've this is a very, very famous scripture. If you're in missions like we are, I mean, you always have to quote this because this is like Jesus's mission statement. He just he just came out of the wilderness and he's beginning to move into his ministry. And this is kind of like he's getting up in a meeting just like this in his hometown. And he's introducing himself and what he's about to his hometown and really to the world at the time, and the context of it, you need to remember the people living in Nazareth, the people living in Jerusalem, the people living in Israel. All right, hope was in very short supply. They were oppressed people. They were oppressed by the Romans. They were mired in poverty. They they were just pushed down, pressed down, and beaten. And there it seemed like that's the way life has always been. And that's the way life will always be. That's that's the context of what they're sitting in a meeting just like this Monday through because it was Sabbath on Saturday, Monday through or Sunday through Friday. All right. Life was really, really hard. And it was a struggle minute by minute, moment by moment to get through. Okay, and that's that's the context. And then Jesus gets up and he reads these words in Luke chapter four verse i'm going to start with verse 18 it's also in isaiah 61 this has been prophesied in isaiah and now it's being fulfilled in in jesus and he says this the spirit of the lord is on me okay on me he is in you for you the spirit of the lord is in you for you when he comes on you it's for others that's not my phrase. That's Bill Johnson's from Bethel's phrase. So I can't take credit for that. But but it's true. We have him in us. But when we really feel him come upon us, it's usually because there's something he would like us to do. Okay, to bring him forward. So he says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed or appointed me to pray, proclaim good news for the poor." He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, he's saying, I have come to set you free of everything. I have come not only to set you free from the law but i have come to set you free of your circumstances because if he is the one true god and this is really good news it ought to change you not just on the inside but it ought to change you on the outside and ought to change the circumstances when it with in which you find yourself okay i use this example a lot if if we're in africa and we've spent a lot of time with our ministry in, in africa we jump into our land rover and we go into a village All right. And we preach to this village about the one true God. And we show them the Jesus film and introduce them to Jesus and all the promises of Jesus. and Tell everybody, this is the God you need to serve. And then we leave and still one out of every two children die before the age of five. And oppression is rampant and disease is rampant and poverty is rampant. Does that feel like a God? That you want to follow? No. Now it's it's interesting because Jesus also balances that when he says, Well, yes, there is the poor, but the poor you will have with you always. So I'm confused. We supposed to get rid of poverty and all of this issue, or what? He's like, I come to set you free, and then he says, But the poor you'll have with you always. It's like is he schizophrenic? I mean, think, like, No, God is not schizophrenic. I, what he's saying is this. There will be poverty. There will be oppression. There will be difficulty everywhere. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Make a difference in that. He has not called us to get rid of poverty. He has called us to go into the poverty, to go into the hopelessness, go into the oppression, bring the light of Jesus and show that things can change. It will all be gone when he comes back, but we don't just hunker down and wait for him to come back. Okay? We get out there because we are called to love and love looks like something. And when we love and it looks like something, it provokes questions to which the gospel is the answer. I mean, the church is birthed with, with the disciples after Pentecost, and Peter and John are walking through the temple courts, okay, and they heal a guy, and he gets all fired up, and it provokes a question. That love act provoked a question to the people in Jerusalem to which Peter and John were able to give an answer, and the church was was added to because love look like something now i think the key to it is this word called compassion in matthew nine thirty-six, it says this when he saw the throngs the people he was moved with pity and sympathy some versions call it compassion for them because they were bewildered harassed and de- distressed and rejected dejected and helpless like sheep without a shepherd and then he says take heart The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Go pray for the harvest. The harvest is there. It just needs workers. It needs us to go out and love, and love looks like something. He announces, okay? Jesus announces this thing called the kingdom, okay? The kingdom has a king. And when the king speaks, things change, okay? And Jesus has said, Take heart, for the kingdom is at hand, meaning. I am bringing the kingdom, and it is at hand. It needs to change something. Now, the interesting part about it all is God chooses to use people. And that's his one strategy is to use people. That's why we need to go out and we need to love, and we need to make sure that love looks like something because he uses People. And the cool thing about why he uses people is because like unlike any other false God, he desires relationship. He could do all of this himself and people and and he intervenes and miraculously does things absolutely. Gospel, the good news is word, okay. Deed, love looks like something, and sign pointing to the one true God in heaven through a miraculous power. OK, that's a full expression of the gospel Too too often churches just preach word indeed. Oh, we need to love and we need to talk about Jesus. Well, we need to love and talk about Jesus and we need to demonstrate that he's got some pretty awesome power. OK, I used to be a history teacher and I would teach my kids. I'd say it's always about the power. You know, and we talk about these dictators and everything, and then they'd all stand up, and they'd go, power! And we'd go, power! In this case, it's not just about the power, but it does have to have an expression of power, does have to have a transformation aspect in love with an explanation. Okay? The enemy has power and demonstrates power, but it's only counterfeit. If you... One last quick story from my school teaching days. They always love to ask me weird questions because they always thought it would get a teacher off track and then they wouldn't get homework and so forth. And so one day, a tenth grader says, So, Mr. Johnson, do you believe in Ouija boards? <laughs> like, okay. Like, do you really want to know this answer? Yeah, yeah. I was like, absolutely I do. That freaked them out. Because I'm teaching at a Christian school, and the history teacher uh, just said he believes in Ouija boards. And so I said, all right, if you come back tomorrow, we'll talk about Ouija boards. So they came back. We had this discussion about Ouija boards. And, And what I explained to them, I said, you guys realize that you are a spirit being? And I took them back to Genesis, and I said, when God made man. What made him different from everything else in the creation is he breathed his breath, got the breath of God into man and gave him life. That's why we're made in the image of God, not necessarily the physical likeness of God, because God is spirit. but we are different because we are spirit beings in a physical body. And. we began to unpack that and and I I said to them I said the reason you are so fascinated with the supernatural is because you are a spirit being but understand that everything that is not of God is a counterfeit which means it's not as valuable it's not as powerful it's not as worthful as the true thing said don't go for that because that's going to leave you in a bad place. Go for the real thing. We had a great conversation about that, about people understanding all of those kinds of things. And and I would say to you, as you as you begin to demonstrate and go out and and say, all right, God has called me to love and love looks like something. Love looks like an activity not to earn my salvation, but to make a difference in the hopelessness of whatever situation I am. That might be a hug. That might be an encouraging word. That might be, let me give you lunch today. That might be, hey, why don't you come to a place where you can learn about the real hope? Why don't you come to Revive Church? Okay? Um, it could mean a number of things. Bringing a meal to someone, say, Praying with faith and boldness that God will touch them, that God will heal them. It could mean a lot of different things. But we are called to go out and we are called to love because love looks like something. A gospel that is truly good news must change someone. It must change someone. When I first started, or when we first started with Um, our ministry Um, we were working in West Africa in a number of settings and then we were with a compassionate ministry organization I can remember the day my boss said to me ah this was back in about 2003 2004 AIDS was ravishing Africa okay and America was was waking up to the fact that there is this massive epidemic going on we need to do something about it so I remember sitting in a meeting, um, our offices were in Washington, D.C. at the time, and, and I can remember my my boss going, "Ah, we need to do something about AIDS in Africa, and the, the country we're going to do it in is, is Zambia, and we're going to do this thing called a Community Orphan Trust, and Jeff, you're in charge of it. And I'm like, one, I have no feeling for Zambia, Africa at all. I don't even know how to spell it, and it's only six letters, okay? Um, and two, I said to her, what's a community orphan trust? And she says, well, I don't know, but when you make it, I'll tell you when I see it. am like, thank you for that clarity. I appreciate that. So I get on a plane to go to <laughs> Zambia, Africa, Um. And I spent, I mean, the flight with layovers and everything were about, was about 25 hours. I spent 25 hours figuring out how that would be my one and only trip to Zambia, Africa. I mean, seriously, I did. I was like Jonah going to Nineveh. All right, trying to figure out how to get out of this. Okay, and I, but after 25 hours, if you put some heavy thought into something, you can come up with a pretty creative strategy of it for anything. Okay, And so I had a pretty decent strategy. And then the very first morning after we got there, we did a prayer walk through the local hospital and we went through the AIDS ward and we prayed for some of the patients. And it was a powerful moment. And and I walked out of the hospital and I saw this young lady sitting on the steps kind of weeping. So I sat down, I started to chat with her, and she told me a story. I knew the logistics of the story. I've heard these kinds of stories many times before. She was given away um, at age 14 to be married to a man in the village just because the family was poor and they wanted the bride price that they could get for giving their daughter in marriage. So she was, she was given away to a man. He soon after, about three or four years after, um, died of AIDS, left her with two small children, as is the case in, in that culture. The female owns nothing. The female really is property of the male. So the man's family came and took everything, the, the little shack, the pots, the pans, the blankets, everything, left her with these two young kids. She had no, nothing, nowhere to go. So she ended up in the capital city, and she ended up doing the only thing she had left to do, and that's to sell her body. And she was at the local clinic. She had just gotten the diagnosis that she, too, had AIDS. And she was telling me this whole story. And I I understood the realities of AIDS in Africa. Then she said this to me. She looked at me and she said, Sir, you need to know that I love Jesus. And I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know that I am sinning. And I pray every day that Jesus will forgive me. And she looked at me and she said, but tell me, what was I to do? You see, AIDS is a slow death, but starvation is a quick death and my children are starving. And she asked me the question again, what was I to do? That was my three days in the belly of the whale. All right. That changed me because at that point, I knew love needs to look like something. I can't change AIDS in Africa. I can't take care of every Mary. But I needed to do something to begin to answer that question. And so we began a ministry called a community orphan We began to pull it together. We worked through local churches. We began to to do education, shelter, clothing, so forth um, to begin to answer that question for people like Mary so that they could get support. And we did it in the name of of Christ. And it was powerful and it was amazing. And people were being changed. But we began to realize that there was still one thing left. Some of these kids still were not thriving. We were finding them income. We were finding them shelter. We are getting them education, clothes, But they still weren't thriving. And then Danette's dad, we were living in Africa at the time, came out. And he was a minister and a Ph.D. psychologist. And, and he, he kind of looked around, and we had these conversations. And I kind of shared some of these things that I was observing with him. And he was like, well, I can tell you the problem. These kids are still grieving. They've lost their parents and they're as traumatized emotionally, and they're going through grief. And unless you deal with that, they won't thrive. And so then he, he actually came back to the States in his retirement and wrote a curriculum called Hope for Grieving Children. Danette took it, contextualized it for Africa, and we began a very specific piece of ministry to caregivers of orphans in Africa, in Zambia predominantly. We've spread out now into a few other countries, um, not only dealing with some of their physical issues, but dealing with this issue of grief. And so we would go through many orphanages bringing this training and education. And we were also being asked one question over and over and over again. It's like, what are you going to do for the older orphans? You see, now it was... About 2010, 2011, AIDS has been ravaging Africa since the middle of the 1990s, and all of these millions of AIDS orphans in Africa are now young adults. In fact, most countries, the demographics in Africa would say by the, by the year 2015 to 2020, almost 50% of a country's population is going to be under the age of 30. Because AIDS is killing off all of the older generation, leaving all of these orphans as their future leaders. Oh, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. No, it's not. Okay. Because our God is king of everything. Right? And so he gave, really, Danette and I independently an answer to this question. And he gave us a strategy for young adult orphans. It's, it's a lot like the REV program that, that Brie is a part of. But he said, sow into these young adults. Train them up in the kingdom. Train them up in who they are in Christ. Train them to go deep in the intimacy of Christ. And then set them loose, give them something, and set them loose into the community to bring the kingdom, and you will change Zambia. And so we founded this ministry called Masters, Ministry and Skills Training, for Emerging Reformers. Your gift has gone to the master's program, and I want to lay out a little bit more specifically what that is and what you are a part of. But it's been amazing, and it's been powerful. And I thought the easier way to introduce you to master's is we put together a little slideshow that introduces you to class one of The master's kids. So if we want to roll that video, you will learn a little bit more about masters. Communities. What what the program is, is basically we take these kids. They are all orphans for six months. Small group. Okay, Jesus. Jesus took eleven, basically not twelve, eleven. And he changed the world with them. We're not we're not after classes of one hundred. We're we're after small groups of kids that we can really pour into. So they sit with us and our staff for for five to six months every day. Intimacy through worship and prayer, teaching in the word, equipping in every way, as well as vocationally. And then we give them a small business grant to start their own small businesses um, out into the community, and we turn them loose, to make a difference in their communities, one one of the the young gals there, her name was Sofwa. Um, she and a couple other kids started a business. They started a small restaurant business in a in a busy market area of the inner city of Lusaka, Zambia, just serving lunch. And when I was talking to talking to Sofwa. And, it was amazing. They were making some income and so forth. Sophua's been, been able to make enough income now to be able to find her own place to live. She's been able to bring her extended siblings that were just spread out throughout the country back to come live with her, including her young sister who was HIV positive, and the, the auntie and uncle that were taking care of her were refusing this young gal the medicine she needed to thrive because she was just a burden to them. Sophua was able to bring her young sister back with her, get her to the clinic, get her the medicines that she needs. I mean, bringing and restoring this family back together. But what I really love about the story is I was talking to Sofa about her restaurant that a couple of the other of these master's kids um, were a part of. And and she would say, you know what? There are other restaurants um, in this market, but everybody comes to us, because they know that we give them more than lunch. And they come to us for prayer, and they come for, to us for encouragement, and they come to us for ministry. And, and she just said off the cuff, she said, and they kind of renamed our restaurant. They had named it Master's Best, he said. But the, the communities renamed our restaurant, they call it God's Kitchen. Just think about that for a minute God's Kitchen. Where there's hope being sown, where there are salvations happening, where people are getting healed, where people are getting free, where people are being delivered. Has poverty gone away in that compound? No. Will it go away in that compound? Probably not till Jesus comes back. But is the light of Jesus strong in that place? It absolutely is. There is a young man named Gibson, and then I'm going to have Danette come on up and finish. Gibson graduated in December um, in Master's Year 3. Gibson was a young man who is an orphan. He has he has a mother but no father. In, in Africa, you're considered an orphan if you lose one or both parents because losing a parent creates incredible vulnerability. He was into every bad thing possible alcohol drugs running around and everything i mean he was as we would say in this world messed up but he came into masters god got a hold of him totally changed his lifestyle around his his mother and extended family are so amazed at the change in gibson he has led his entire family to christ because of the change that they saw in him. So he's ready for his moment to be released into the community to bring the kingdom that is in him now out to others, okay? The spirit is in him, and now the spirit is on him for others because love needs to look like something, okay? But sometimes for love to look like something, it takes a little bit of money, okay? Your gift, is going to support Gibson's income generating business. You're into chickens now, so congratulations, you're in the chicken business. All right? Your gift is gonna is gonna buy 30 chickens for Gibson. And you will be amazed at what Gibson is going to do with those 30 chickens. Because you know what? When even when you're in poverty, you have to eat, right? He will he will raise those chickens and in six weeks you can raise those chickens and you can sell them. They're broiler chickens. okay? so they're to eat, not to lay eggs. Everybody eats chicken (laughs) in. They're like French fries to America. Chicken is to Africans. Everybody eats chicken. So he will sell those chickens. He will turn those around. He will take some of the income from selling those chickens to buy the next round of chickens. But he'll make a profit on this as well. And, and what we're going to endeavor to do with, with Matt and Sarah is to make sure that you know and you continue to see the kingdom difference. Because it's not about chickens. God loves to use chickens to save the world. Okay, and to make a testimony. So we're going to share with you um, the story of Gibson. Okay? And you're going to follow Gibson with us as he has graduated from Master's, as he moves into the compounds of Lusaka. He starts his chicken business, but he's not just doing chickens because we've trained him up. We've sent him out to do discipleship and evangelism. We've put everything in him. Say he knows he is a son of the king of everything, which means he can pull on the inheritance of his father. All right. And he will, I guarantee you, he will provoke questions to which the gospel is the answer. And your loaves and fishes, if you will, you are going to see how God is going to multiply that. We are convinced of that. We are excited about it. Um, We have been pushing. You need to know this year. Um, it's been a stress. It's been a burden for us. We've, we've graduated 12 kids this year? 12 kids. And we've been trying, we've got them through school, but we've been trying to get the resources to take this next step and get them placed in the marketplace. And we, it's been a struggle. So I want to say thank you for your generosity for Gibson to help us get him out into the community, get him launched and get him going because that gift is going to make a huge, huge difference. And we're really excited to be able to share that with you. What you have going on here, I i, I got a lot to say, but I think Danette's got some things too. But the spirit of the Lord is here, okay? This Matt was sharing a little bit about the fact that when he began this church he was really holding on to isaiah 61 and it was interesting we hadn't talked and you know i had really pulled that same scripture i felt like that that christ was putting a standard in the ground and saying i'm sticking my head out of the ground and i'm making a pretty bold statement because there is there is need for the love and the power of christ in this place. That's what he was saying to the people of Nazareth. That's what he was announcing. And I believe that's what this church is announcing, that, you know what? We see the need. We see the heartache. We see the struggle. We see the oppression. And we're going to make a difference. We're going to give to somebody else, even in the midst of our own field. We're going to plow into some and sow into somebody else's field as well. And I guarantee you, I'm telling you, There is going to be witness. There is going to be testimony. There is going to be miracle that's going to come out of this. That's not just going to help a young man in Africa. You will be touched by the help you give to a young man in Africa. But I am convinced and I believe that's what it why it laid on Matt's heart to approach me about this is that the story of Gibson and what you've said. You know what? God has called us here, but we're also going to sow there is going to be used powerfully to change people and to change lives in this community. Okay, love looks like something. It doesn't need to be the end all answer. That little boy with the loaves and fishes, he had no answer to the problem, right? Zero answer to the problem. But he said, I got something, my lunch, and I got enough love to give my lunch That's all that God is asking. He's not asking you to solve any problem in Hesperia. He's saying, will you just give what you have? Because love looks like something. And if you do, watch what I'll do with that. Watch how I'm going to just explode on the scene. That's what this church, I believe, is for. Amen.
1: And I really believe that... um as you are able to give testimony about what is happening over in Zambia, people around here will be like, well, why, why, why are you doing that? You know, you, you know, how much do you have to offer? You know, um, and it will be a, it will be a testimony of God's love, um, and your belief in God's resources, um, that it will just help wake up the community to that. There, there's so much more. And I, um, Uh, like Jeff said, as we were driving over here, um, I was just asking the Lord, you know, what is your heart today? What is your heart for these people today? And, um, you know, God is doing something here. I mean, just wait a moment. His presence is incredible here. You are tapping into heaven itself. And it's heaven that's going to change earth. But you've tapped in to something here. Um, and I really and I believe strongly in the prophetic. And when you access the heart of God for a place and you ask him what his heart is, and then you speak it out, his word accomplishes something, right? It doesn't return void. But it's going to do something, and so as I as I was just asking the Lord, um, you know what what He would want to say to you guys today? I just I heard Him say that yeah, you are having impact and influence in this place. I just want you guys to close your eyes, and I want I want you to grab hold of this word, okay? You are, yes. Says the Lord, you are having impact and influence in this place. For it is I who position people in a place for purpose. It is I, the Lord, who position people in a place for purpose. And I positioned you here in this place, for a purpose. I am setting you as forerunners to stir up what is already here, to awaken what is already here. Just like John the Baptist came proclaiming something to people to prepare them for an encounter with God, As he was speaking out, he was grabbing hold of what was already there. And he was awakening it on earth as it was in heaven. I have positioned you in this place for a purpose. To awaken what I have already ordained in this place. So that people can encounter God. So don't be surprised this year by exponential growth for i saw the lord set a per, uh, a string of pearls and we all know that a pearl is represents the kingdom of god but uh, what i saw was a string of pearls because it's growth it's an increase of his kingdom that has no end so it's not just one but it's many it's a whole string of pearls that is what you are accomplishing in this place so expect exponential growth this year. And not just exponential growth numbers, but exponential growth within each individual, within each member that walks through these doors. For I am an increasing in awareness of the Spirit of God in each person. So those who have walked by the Spirit at only 10%, will now begin to walk by the Spirit at 50%. And those who have walked by the Spirit at 50% will begin to walk by the Spirit at 80% because you are a Spirit-filled people meant to walk by my Spirit and establish my kingdom in this place. You have a purpose. And you will see it come to pass, says the Lord.